you're trying to kind of shift the blame on the product when you say it's legacy. But really, the blame is on you because you didn't change it when you should have. You didn't do the upgrades when you should have, or you didn't do your due diligence, and you kind of sat there stagnant, waiting for something to happen, right? That kind of mentality is just going to hold back the whole business. So you have to just really be able to move quickly and don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. You're listening to Restaurants Reinvented, a podcast for restaurant brands who want to put growth back on the menu. In each episode, Jen Kern, the CMO of Q, highlights innovators and change agents in the restaurant industry and uncovers how leading brands are modernizing their operations to drive efficiency and meet the evolving demands of guests. Let's get started. Welcome back to Restaurants Reinvented. This is Jen Kern. And today I am here with Justin Keenan, the head of technology from The Heart House. Hi, Justin. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to have you here today. I mean, I'm always excited to have my podcast guests here, but Heart House has been getting quite the fanfare lately, and I feel like it's just the up-and-coming darling in our space. I hope you're right. I think we're right. We've got everything lined up. I, I really have never seen a brand that has so much going for it. We've got just like from soup to nuts, everything we're doing is just lined up. We're all very experienced multi-unit operators. We have amazing leadership, amazing ownership, amazing brand. Oh, and by the way, the food's pretty good too. So Yum. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just like we're set up for this rocket ship and I'm super excited about it. Um, it's just gonna, it, it, we're gonna take over the world. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about it too. I, I'm thrilled to watch the journey. I mean, it's so fun to see a brand new restaurant, new concept in a pretty trendy space, all plant-based, doing something new, which is QSR, plant-based QSR. I yeah. mean, we're not quite the first to do it, but definitely, I mean, it's been very, very recent. So I think we're going to, you know, we're hoping to be the first to really do it at scale. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to get just a piece of the QSR pie. And it's not that much that we need really to make an impact, you know, the impact that we want to, to bring this, you know, accessibility to plant-based diets into places that, that haven't really seen it. You know, you've seen it in the fast casual space, you've seen it in the you know, casual dining, but QSR is relatively new and it's going to be, it's going to be fun. In <laughs> case you don't know, I know it's probably obvious, but Kevin Hart is our namesake and our big celebrity backer. So I'm just going to get that out there because not everybody knows that. Well, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I want to dig in a little bit more because I know that you met Carrie Fitzmaurice, who also has opened a plant-based yeah. pure grit barbecue in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, more of a fast casual. And I got to eat there last week, which was a wow, thrill. And it was still Oh, my gosh. It was delicious. The I brisket bet. or whatever it's called, the brisket, the Impossible Burger brisket was Great out of this world. The pulled jackfruit was out of this world. So we'll dig into that a little bit later, but let's go ahead and by way of introduction, can you give our listeners background, tell us who you are and, and how you found your way over to Hard House? Sure. Yeah. It's been a, a trip. I started, you know, as many of us have, you know, washing dishes when I was a teenager to earn gas money. I had a 66 mm. Mustang. Gas, I think was 87 cents a gallon, but I needed to, <laughs> needed to feed it so I could get around. Um, that was my first impetus for getting into the business. Actually, I'll back up a little bit. Before that, my grandfather actually uh, ran food trucks. Um, he oh, started wow. the business of food trucks back in the 50s, actually. So the name of it was called Snackmobile. Mr. Snackmobile was my grandfather. It was the, you know, the the pickup trucks with the big silver back on it. Um, yeah. 
it was referred to kind of as industrial catering. Um, but those are what he called cold trucks. He had over 200 of those. We had hot trucks, which are what you think of as food trucks today. They were just the hot trucks because they had a a grill and the cold trucks didn't. Um, so when I was a kid, I grew up, you know, climbing on pallets of Cokes and chips and candy and the, the owner's grandkids. So I was like, kind of, you know, treated like royalty around there in the warehouse. There's a big ice house we could, you know, get in and stuff. But yeah, so I kind of, there was a huge kitchen, a large, a large industrial catering kitchen. So in a way I was born into the business, but it took me a while to make it to the tech side. I was uh, in a restaurant and someone came in to fix our computers, our Aloha computers. And I realized that if that guy can do it, then I can do that. So made the jump into the tech side. It's all been you know history from there. So uh, I grew up in Scottsdale. So PF Tangs was one of my first brands. I worked for Samaro in New York, which was 500 unit, corporate owned units. Jumped up to Rubio's, done Tokaya, which is a, uh, a regional mm. uh, modern Mexican chain here in LA and Southern California, about 20 units. Um, we also have a sister store called Coco Madera and Veggie Grill. Uh, before that, Veggie Grill was one of the leaders, if not the leader, in the vegan fast casual space. Not no strange. So you said you made the jump from food into tech. When was that? When did you start in tech? Oh, do you want to date? Because it was a long time ago. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, it was a long time. It was so, you know, Aloha was the POS of the decade, right? I mean, it was the first Windows-based touchscreen POS. So it was growing like crazy. So I really built my career off Aloha and being able to fix it. Yeah. And now you're at Hard House at this, mm-hmm. this hot new brand. And you are the very first person in technology at a new brand. And so... What I'd love to talk to you about today is how are you building that technology stack? Because you have a luxury a lot of CTOs don't have today. And this is going to be part of hopefully what will turn into a CTO series. We had Don Gillis on the CTO of Freebirds last week. We have you on now. And we're really wanting to tackle those questions around technology for fast, casual, and QSR restaurants. And this is an industry that's been let, that's been plagued, not lagged, lagged behind, but also plagued by legacy technology. So here you are at a new concept as the first CTO getting to build it all fresh. Yeah. What is what has that been like for you and what does it look like? And and let's talk about the process and how you're tackling each thing at a time. Yeah. I mean, that was what attracted me to to this. You know, it's it's not quite blue ocean, but it definitely is green field. You know, there is whatever yeah. we can do, which you know, I'll be honest, that that is scary in its in its own right, but also, you know, exciting. Like I love to, you know, I think I'm at a point in my career where I know, you know, kind of how things need to get done. Like I said, we have a, a very experienced team. And this journey, by the way, I mean, we just opened last month, but this journey has been going on for almost a year. So yeah. the foresight that our founders had to build, you know, to build the team to really establish the foundations and to hire a tech guy before we even had any restaurants open. And that's really where this all started, right? Because a lot of restaurants will open their first restaurant just to see if it's viable, right? Let's just see if this one works. Okay, we got another one, maybe three. Okay. And they really haven't traditionally haven't added anyone in tech. They just relied on their vendor partners until they get to about 15 to 20 units. And then they say, oh, maybe we should hire someone to do the menu or whatever it is. So the flip on that was huge, right? Because the last year I've been spending, which is, you know, kind of going over those possibilities and what is the modern stack look like. And I've got a little taste of that because at Tokaya, you know, I had some of those similar rules, right? I never had a server in my office. I don't want servers anymore. There's no point in having 
anything that's not cloud-based at this point in time. But I built out a roadmap. You know, I built out a, a three-year plan. I'll be honest, that was kind of like deck fodder <laughs> to be, mm -hmm. you know, sort of knowing full well that it's not really ever going to, you know, I'm actually working on things that are on year three of my plan with, and, and I'm in month one. And it wow. just flip-flops so much. You know, the idea is just modern and flexible. Make sure that it's something that your users want, right? So bring to the table only the things that, that you think are going to work for them and let them kind of decide between you know, best of breed and, and whatever platforms you want. I mean, obviously, I guess we could say that, like we are best of breed. Obviously, we're not going to build a lot custom at this point in the game. However, it wouldn't surprise me if that starts bleeding into my stack because it's just so much easier these days. And that's, I think, the biggest lesson is that things are easy. You know, things are, are shouldn't be that hard. You should, you know, most of everything that we can do now in tech, you know, there's no, I don't have to like wake up at two in the morning and reboot an exchange server anymore, right? All the things that we used to do, things are just so much easier. A couple of clicks get done, you know, projects that used to take two months. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm agile and, and able to move and pivot as quickly as possible. That's, that's basically what I'm looking at. I'm looking at best of breed partners. I'm looking for software companies that are not too old, but not too young, right? So we're kind of in that sweet spot. Ones that are excited about working with me and push them a little harder. Right? Let me influence them in ways that help them and help their product for the industry and not just for, not just for what I'm doing at the time. Um, when I find those kind of partners, then, then I know it's the right thing to, to bring in. So... I know Andy Hooper is the CEO there, mm -hmm. and and I had him on. Oh gosh, early in this podcast, he came on when he was at Ann Pizza, mm -hmm. and so I've had I've had the pleasure of of meeting him and getting to know him. I know he's a fabulous leader, and that and he brought you and as you said over ten months ago, before the first restaurant was ever opened, and let's just call that reinventing restaurants right there, because like you said. Usually, and I think it's the same thing with marketers, by the way, in these smaller mm -hmm. chains, it takes a couple restaurants before they start getting serious about all these non-essential functions, right? Yeah, right. Um, but so Andy had the foresight to say like, hey, and tap you on the shoulder, we need a technology leader, strategist, someone that's really knows their stuff to come in before the restaurants are even ready to go prime time. Mm -hmm. And... Give us a little look behind the curtain. What was what was that initial conversation like, and what did you sell him on in terms of the way you would do this and your vision? So, first of all, Andy's been here a lot less time than I have. So, okay, he is. You know, I we had a different CEO when I was hired, but I mean, the, oh, okay. the question still applies. Obviously, yeah. it was this conversation. It was how do you scale and how do you build a restaurant from store zero, and what do you bring in, and how do you balance that. So that conversation is still happening with Andy today. It's, you know, a lot of that stack that I built that, yeah. um, that you know, and the deck is not implemented today. Right? It, it's really, you have to focus on the things that are essential and, you know, uh, things that really make an impact. The things that the users are going to have time to, to really manage and, and take care of. Because the worst thing you can do is spend a bunch of money on a SaaS product, sits there dormant, and nobody ever uses it. Right? User adoption right. is the number one most important thing. The interesting thing about Andy and what he did at Ann Pizza, what I've been trying to do and now I'm able to do is really turn the front end towards the employees as well. I've been trying for a long time to build a stack that is equally usable for customers and employees, right? You know, the employees interface with the brand much, much more than customers, right? They're there on a daily basis. So one of the things I talked about years and years ago at FS Tech was building a rewards app for employees. 
because that was five years ago. I was like, oh, you got to have rewards. You got to have rewards. Like that was the big innovation of the time. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's great. And everything, you know, airlines have been doing this for a long time. Hotels have been doing this. Why don't, why don't we do this for our employees and really like, let's build stuff that, that enables retention, enables, you know, empowerment. Andy's very, very focused on the employee experience. In fact, we're looking at this as a disruption to QSR from the inside. Right? So we want to really treat our employees well. We want to pay them well. We have certified living wages. And we do have uh, actually a rewards program for our employees. So, you know, when things are, you know, certain metrics are met, you know, they might show up with a Starbucks card and say, hey, thanks, you did a great job today. Go and treat yourself to Starbucks for us. So we're really getting to do some stuff that we really wanted to do for a long time. And and your point about non-essentials, it's not lost on me either. That's, I think that's the shift, right? That's the shift. Is tech the non-essential, right? Tech we used to be like plumbing, right? It, like we did, yeah, we need plumbing. Okay. I guess plumbing's essential, but nobody really cared about it until it wasn't working. Right. And right. It wasn't working. Oh my God. We got to call it. Let's, Justin, we got to call him. We got to fix this thing. That was yeah. really what tech was kind of looked at, right? It was always kind of a cost center. It was a, you know, a necessary evil to some people, right? You had to have that touchscreen windows based POS or else you couldn't do anything. Yeah. But the shift is now that tech is no longer optional. And, and, I think we've been saying that for a while. I think we've all heard this at this point, and, you know, in 2022 and through COVID and everything, that COVID acceleration and how tech really had to get adopted. But I'm really feeling the shift now that no longer is it an option, right? It's, it's a requirement. And that speaks to why, you know, why tech was brought in early, why we're bringing in tech leadership. And I include Andy in that too, as a CEO. Awesome. Where did you start? Like, did you first go out and get a POS? Did you, I mean, you're talking about this whole employee, like putting the employee first. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. That's also not a nice to have anymore. Putting right. the employee first and thinking about how they interact with the technology. So what was the stack's origins? Where did you begin? That's a good question. I'm trying to think. I know we, we you know, we, we definitely thought about digital first, right? Digital channels first. You know, we wanted to make sure we had a robust digital channel that can scale. Um, mm -hmm. We are, you know, definitely concerned about scale as we grow. You know, we have many, many stores in the hopper. You know, yeah, POS was probably one of our biggest concerns. There's a lot of opinions on POS, right? Um, <laughs> ultimately, it's a, it's kind of an operational project, right? They're the ones pushing the buttons, but you know, it really does have to enable your platforms. I mean, it has to enable other platforms, has to enable your, the entire stack, right? So POS is obviously very, very important. To be honest, like the first decision I made was KDS. Like, I, I think that KDS is the most important in-store technology where that production that happens in back is, you know, not insignificant. I want to make sure that they had what they needed. I had a really robust KDS system. So I kind of started building it up from there. And then, you know, again, best of breed, smart and informed decisions. But really it was kind of those three things because our online platform or POS and our KDS that really led the way. And you've mentioned best of breed a couple of times. I'd like to just unpack that a little bit because sure. I think it probably means different things to different people. If you've been in the industry a long time, I think it's it's not lost on too many people that you can either go best of breed or single source or one solution, right? Oh, yeah. Um, how do you define best of breed? Well, I actually really don't like platforms that try to be all things. I much prefer that 
partner that can stay in this lane is such an overused word, but you know what I mean? Like stay, stay focused on its core principles. You know, if it's an online ordering platform, great. You're doing online ordering. You know, I want to make sure that everything else I need is enabled, right? If there is a rewards platform that does the same thing, right? The rewards platform is also best and breed. That's what, it, you know, they all have to play nicely together, but I don't need an online platform that also does like half-assed rewards and half-assed this, gift, you know, they, they never do everything well. I want a platform that does what it does very, very well. That's big challenge these days. Everything yeah. try and be everything. And they want, just want to increase their revenues, right. And try and get what, you know, what they call stickier, right. The more they have you, the more they have you. So that was right. one of the things I noticed with like NCR was with, with Aloha and, and menu. They used to be separate. Menulink was a thing you added onto Aloha. And then it's what happened. They bought them and they started absorbing them. And then they started building features that were only available to people that were, you know, so they, it's a game that they play. I think it's misguided. I think they, you know, the shareholders or the people in the ivory towers really think that's a great way to increase revenue, but it's also a great way to spread yourself too thin. Those are what I try to avoid. So everything's got to play nice in the sandbox. That's, that's the most important thing. And that's what I really look for. That's probably the number one thing I think about. And I think that message is starting to come through to a lot of platforms. Right. I think that's a great way to explain it. I mean, you're talking about essentially scope creep, right? And and it's true. It happens. I mean, I've worked in many different industries. Yeah. And as soon as you get successful in one area, the shareholders or the investors or the CEO, they want to like broaden the focus. Exactly. And it is one of the things I love about our company because we have stayed completely in the lane of fast casual and QSR only. And I have people a lot of times say to me, I don't want to say all the time, but oftentimes like table service brands will come and say like, why can't you guys? And it's like, believe me, we do the due diligence, but we want to stay really good at what we started to say we were really good at. And it is focused and it is narrow in a way, but there's plenty of challenges and things to conquer in, in the enterprise space for restaurants. So um, just staying fast casual QSR has been better for us and for me as as a marketer because when that scope winds, your brand also gets diluted. And so it's not even just been in our industry, but that it just happens a lot. And it is a shame because I think from a buyer perspective, I mean, I'm the same way. Like when I have a marketing agency come to me and they're like, you know, oh, and they're selling to me and they're selling to me. And I'm like, what are you really good at? Did you start in PR? Did you start in graphics? Because it always comes back to one thing that they're really good at. You can't be, it's like you said, you can't be good at everything. And that's true good, in life. I mean, in, yeah. in life, and that's true across industries, Yeah, um, 100%. I mean, everywhere you look, it's like, it's the same thing. You know, I get ads on Instagram for a company that made their a belt company, right? Now, oh, but now they're selling wallets. Now they're selling watches. Now they're selling yeah. all this stuff. And, and they just dilute themselves, right? Right. And rather just yeah. go to the best place and buy the best belt they can and be done with it. Right. So you're you're building your stack. So you've got the online ordering, you've got the POS, you've got the KDS. What are you working on today? What I'm really working on is guest experience. I mean, I am working on uh, employee experience also, but I'm focused on guest experience as we get ready to launch our digital channels. You know, I want to make sure that that experience matches the in-store experience as much as possible. I want it to be enjoyable, easy, not frictionless, but reduced friction, right? I want to make it really easy to get there, get the food. Like, I, I want to just make sure that that my food comes out at the time you want to eat it, right? That's, that's kind of a... Uh, one of the tricks I think the industry has and that we've been trying to solve for a long time. So that's, that's mostly what I'm focused on. 
training materials and building some more, you know, adding, bringing some more partners into the stack. And probably the number one thing is data management. So now that I have all these great platforms, this is the perfect time for me to start building my data. I'll just call it a data warehouse for the sake of conversation. So start building that, start, start collecting that data. Um, I have a lot of it already and it needs to go somewhere. It may not be that I have to deal with it right now, right? I'm, I may not know what to do with it for a minute, but there's no reason that I can't start collecting it. Well, that's, that's a great point because data is another one of these terms that the industry is really focused on is getting the data and how are you using the data? And it seems like we're still a little bit away from being able to actually use real-time data in an effective way that's going to drive revenues and profits, as well as help on the labor side. So I would love to know where that journey takes you and and what you have planned there. I mean, I, I'm guessing with just one location right now that you don't have huge plans for the data, but I guess there's a question in there about how do you see data really helping? It's I mean, incredibly powerful. I mean, it, there is so much to do with it. There's more data in the world right now than we can figure out what, <laughs> right? I mean, I technically I could get every button press from my digital platform, every button press from my POS, every button press from my PDS. There's actionable insight in there. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me how to do it or what to get. Or like, I don't know yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, most people don't know yet. I think, you know, if you want to look at it from a, kind of a, an organizational perspective, like, I mean, like organizing where the data, the buckets are, right? So you want to organize everything as best you can so that when it comes time to use it, you're, you're there. I think the most important thing is, you know, iterate, like just keep trying, keep, keep looking and keep, you know, keep going. I think there's a lot of opportunity to collect data that we don't even think about that, that there's things out there that can really make a difference. Um, machine vision is coming and that's something where you know, that's a ton of data. What do you do with it? You know, and AI and all those kind of, you know, emerging technologies that are super powerful and we're all starting to adopt and there's, I see real true use cases for them, but what are we going to do with it? Right. So, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think it's a little more cut and dry these days. I think, you know, you want to segment and you want to, you know, drive buying behavior, you know, you want to hyper segmentation is kind of a thing now, right? You want to really get the right message to the right people at the right time. You want to really drive profitability. So we had some conversations last week about, you know, price elasticity and like what happens when you trade an item in, you know, you launch an LTO, what are you trading out of there? Like a lot of people don't even know that. They just think, you know, they run it by gut feel. Like, oh, this is great. It's so popular, super duper. Well, you might be losing money on it. You might be losing customers. On it. You don't really know. So, you know, the personalized marketing, I think is something that, that we're all starting to get comfortable with but there's endless possibilities and there's all sorts of things that I'm thinking about doing with actual real in-store data and channel data that can really make a difference for everyone and make, just make the operations a lot more um, efficient. Yeah. Well, I would think menu data too. I mean, as a guest myself and, and even when I was at Carrie's restaurant last week, I, I was giving her some recommendations about the menu, not just the wording of the menu, but when I think of it from a data standpoint, like the most popular items as a new concept, which you are, I would think it's going to take a while for you to see what the most popular items are. And the data will hopefully show that, right? 
And maybe it's not one or two, but there's one in each of your categories. But in QSR, you want to keep a fairly limited menu. You don't have the options to have like really long menus. And those seem to perform best anyway. Like the more focused, like back to focus, the more focused the menu, I think the easier it is for the guests in the QSR to order quickly. So I'd love to know, like, as you go along, like how you get that data to determine those those items. I mean, I keep thinking back to, you know, as you were talking about, about the data, one of our favorite salad places here took all the meat off the menu and my husband nearly had a fit. I mean, they just had, it was one of those bowl places where you could go through and you could right. get chicken or say, you know, but it was a salad place. And he was like, why did they take... And I asked them about it and they said, well, it was getting too expensive. And it's like, I'm curious about that. I'm curious if they looked at the data. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm just, I just have one, one point of view here and one, you know, it's not like statistically relevant, but I think data with menus, I would say is a pretty big, big lever. Yeah. I'm pricing, especially, I mean, pricing is yeah. going up across the board everywhere. We're always been so reticent to raise prices in this industry. We're always afraid that, you know, it's going to radically alter our value proposition and, and, and lower sales. But, you yeah. know, I don't know. Do we know? I, yeah. I mean, we can guess, right? We can, we can look and see, or we can, or we can put it in place and see what happens over the next couple of months, or we can really do real testing and real data-driven decisions. You know, right. um, I don't, I don't see that happening as much, in, at least in the smaller organizations. I think the really large organizations are getting better and better at that. Yeah. But the smaller ones are just now starting to learn it. Yeah. And we're going to have to take price. I mean, we just have to take price as an industry and the supply chain is upside down and we're having so many problems with, with everything um, that we have to. I mean, it's, it's, it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked a few weeks ago, you had mentioned you had order ready board that you were coming up with mm-hmm. a new plan for order ready board. Can you share some of that? Because I think yeah. that has a lot to do, obviously, with the guest experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, being new to QSR, one of the first things I kind of learned was that, you know, PA systems are bad. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we're, yeah. you know, I, I've also got team members that are, you know, losing their voices, yelling numbers in the restaurant right now. So um, really? order ready board is definitely kind of an emerging, I don't want to call it emerging technology because it's been around for a while, but it's emerging um, guest experience that the guests are getting trained by other QSRs and, and people to learn to look at them and starting to notice and starting to you know, know that they're useful to them. So really what I want to make it is really super on brand, super fun, super attention grabbing. I want it to be as, as noticeable as a PA system without the, without the noise that's happening with it. I just want it to be fun and funky and different and you know, I mean, it could be anything from, you know, a cartoon voice yelling, you know, stuff or, or like the Batman graphics, like pow, blam, like boom, your order's up. Like I want it to be really eye-catching, really fun. You know, that that marketing tech merger is real, <laughs> you know, that MarTech yeah. kind of idea. But so many, a lot of people don't realize that it's real in a creative sense, right? It's not just, you know, how's your email structure, those, you know, segmentation and all those kind of fun things that happen in the MarTech stack, but it's really more about branding and, and the experience and making it fun. So the order ready board is going to be, I'm going to try and make it as interesting as possible, as fun as possible, and as useful and functional as possible. Um, it's one of the areas I'm exploring machine vision, for. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, technically a machine camera should know when the order is ready and should know when the order is picked up. So that's what I want the board to, to really operate hands-free. 
Like I don't, I don't need anyone to manage that board. That's been, I think the downfall of the order ready board is, you know, you either have to have a bump screen or something ready for the operator to have in front of them so that it goes up on the order ready board and clicks cleared off. You know, if it's not integrated with KDS, then you need something else to, you know, also. So I've seen three screen systems for order ready board. And that's just, that's something that's too complicated. Right. That's something that, that ops will just, they won't see the benefit of, right? So again, keeping that value proposition, like that, that user adoption, not just looking at the guest side, but the employee side, like I wouldn't give the employee something that they're not going to want to use and not going to be easy and seamless to use. I'm not going to give the guests something that they're not going to use. So right. it's, it's a little bit of a trick. I don't really see a lot of people doing it. Well, I'd see some of the bigger QSRs having those order ready boards that just have, you know, 10 to 20 orders on them. And the, the order numbers are five to six digits long. They fall off on a timer, I think. I don't even know how they fall off. Maybe they have to bump them too, but that's the point when they don't get ready. And that's, that's when we're training the guests to ignore them. That's so cool. I love the idea of the machine vision in there and, and almost making it like automated, hands-free. Yeah, it's there. I mean, we can do that. I mean, you know, we have, we have the, the technology and the capability of doing it. It's just connecting the dots. And that's what I think probably one of my most important roles are, is in the company is connecting all the dots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dawn talked last week about biometrics and she said something similar about, um, you know, the less an employee needs to touch a screen, the better. 100%. And yeah. And so I was like, oh, I love, I love that. Just keeping things like really simple, very futuristic, if you will, um, <laughs> and retraining people, right? Yeah. Retraining people. You don't need to be constant. This isn't like a cash drawer anymore. Right. right? Like This isn't a POS. It's just a cash drawer. Right. And giving new people new ways to do things from an sure. employee standpoint is is huge. And you, you talked about the employee rewards. What are you doing there? We're using a partner called Honor Roll. That is, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's basically an employee-facing app that rewards them for, you know, attendance or... I'm not like speed of service, right? So if a, if a team really beats speed of service uh, metrics, we'll reward the whole team. Um, with what? What are you rewarding them with? You know, it varies. We, we try to keep it different. I, I mentioned the Starbucks card earlier. It was like, you know, that's pretty generic. You know, and, uh, people aren't as excited about that anymore. But that's one of the things we can drop in there. Like, hey, coffee on us. It's that mm-hmm. kind of idea. You know, I mean, okay. it's like, not like here's a new Toyota, but it is like something in between. <laughs> here's a gift card to Amazon or, you know, that kind of stuff. Or even... You know, or here's an extra day off. Like here's a paid day off, you know, go just relax and recharge. Um, that's right. just one of the pieces, you know, we're also giving all of our employees a lifestyle spending account and we're giving them benefits, full benefits, you know, at 30 days right off the bat, no matter how many hours they work. So wow. and that's on top of our certified living wages. So, you know, right. it's just a piece of the puzzle, but, you know, we think people should be excited to work here and we want to enable them in many, many ways. And I, I, yeah. I keep that in the back of my mind, like, that is kind of the, the underlying thought behind the hands-free and the machine vision, right? It's the underlying, let's make this job as easy and seem, and it, I want them to enjoy coming to work. You know, I don't want guests yelling at them and saying, where's my order? That kind of stuff. Like all, anything I can do is focused on that, and making yeah. the jobs easier and, and more fun and more rewarding. Have to, have to do it. Have to do it. <laughs> so, Because I keep going back to this. I, I heard an operator say to me a few months ago, People don't want to work in restaurants anymore. It's like, yeah, no, they don't want to work in your restaurant anymore. <laughs> right? Is that's that what, what it is? Yeah, that's yeah. What, they don't want to work in that restaurant. They're tired of being treated the way they've been treated. They're tired of getting the wages. They're, you know, they're tired of that. We we recognize that. You know, like things like when new statutes come out, California passed, you know, new minimum wage and stuff. We're like, yeah, great, we'll bring it on. Like we want to raise yeah. the whole industry 
we're going to lead the way and follow, set by example. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and is that coming from Kevin? Is that, where's that coming from? Because that's huge. You know, I, I think it's something we all share as values, but it's mm -hmm. something that Andy is really bringing to the surface and bringing with him. I, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I think I'd be safe to say that with one of the things that attracted him to this brand himself was the ability to do kind of things that we've all been trying to do for so long. And, you know, it's like, it's time. It's like time to kind of fix things that have been broken for a long time and really like hopefully change things for the better, make this place a better, better place to work and a, and a better planet to live on. Yeah. It's important to and us. You, I think it's important to all of us, but he's really, absolutely. he's really the driver of that. That's uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it is, it's, it's just gotta happen and it has to happen. We need brands like yours, yeah. well-funded, setting that example. <laughs> and you mentioned, okay, so they're getting livable wages. You're doing the rewards. You're giving benefits. You're working on improving the culture. Number one, mm -hmm. like make it a place that people actually want to work. And then you mentioned a lifestyle, something like a lifestyle. Yeah, what lifestyle spending account. It's basically lifestyle a discretionary. Spending account. What is that? It's a discretionary <laughs> account. If you want to, you is know, it? if you want to take yoga classes, if you wanted to, uh, you know, go and rent a sailboat and you know, go on a little sailboat ride, like uh, for an hour, like whatever you want to spend that money on to just, you know, the intention is to recharge, relax, and kind of de-stress and, you know, do things, uh, lifestyle to support your lifestyle. If you, um, you know, let's say you're really into downhill skiing and you needed, uh, some new boots. Whatever that is to support your lifestyle. On that same note, I mean, we're doing kind of a forced savings account as well. It's called Sunny Day Fund. We're actually making an additional contribution to the Sunny Day Fund so that they have a forced savings account they can use. The idea, Sunny Day, right? So not, mm -hmm. not a rainy day fund, but a Sunny Day Fund. So, you know, you can save up and take a vacation. You can save up and, and go to that nice dinner. But of course, it is a savings. So if something were to go wrong, like your car battery dies, you need to get battery, something like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. And can you help me understand a little bit about the brand in terms of the brand ethos? What are the brand values and and how are you aligning that with the culture and with the employees and, and all the programs and even the technology stack? Yeah, we have an acronym. I wish I could remember all of it. We just heard it, so I don't have it memorized yet. But okay. uh, it's really like craveability, remarkability, accessibility. Um, oh, boy, I wonder if I get it right. Value. I'm going to miss the E, but anyway. Um, well, that, that is the acronym then, CRAVE. CRAVE, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's okay. close. I'm close. Don't put, I okay. mean, I'm, I may not okay. have this exactly right yet, but um, yeah. no, but that is the idea is, you know, we want first and foremost, it's food, right? It's, it's gotta be good food no matter what, um, whether it's plant-based or, or whatever else it is, it's gotta be good food. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's, you know, it has gotta be remarkable. You know, our, our, our namesake is a remarkable guy. Um, I think there's a lot of noise out there in, in, in the world, and we want to make that uh, a noticeable and remarkable experience in many ways. So when I talked about the Order Ready Board being fun, being animated and having videos and stuff like that on it, that was because I want it to be remarkable. Um, I want it to be something you remember. Um, yeah, of course, I, I'm a little, you know, I want it to be um, functional. I want it to be attention back, but I also want it to be something you remember. I want it to be something different and something that no one else yeah. is doing. Accessibility is another big thing. So we're going into markets at a very reasonably low price point. You know, it is a true QSR price point. Our sandwiches are six or seven dollars. So that is something we really want to do is bring plant-based eating to places that maybe haven't had a lot of options or have been ignored in the past or have been 
discounted like, oh, that's, you know, that's not the right neighborhood for this. What we find is, and I think we find this in general in the world is, you know, you think it's not the right neighborhood. You, you put something in and all of a sudden it goes crazy. And they're like, yeah, we've been waiting for this for years. There's kind of neglected demographics. There's neglected neighborhoods, neglected markets. I think we can really like jump into and really make it easier for people to eat plant-based once in a while. Yeah, we want plant-based eaters to have another option as well, but we want really omnivores and flexitarians to be able to have that option. So those are really what's driving us as well as like the employees. I love that because it can be pretty expensive, right? I mean, the plant-based stuff can sometimes, yeah. you know, be more expensive than eating chicken. or And sometimes for no reason, right? I mean, you know, yeah. Starbucks charges an extra $2 for uh, a non-dairy milk when it's probably cheaper than the milk it is themselves, right? So people take advantage, yeah. you know, I, you know, my, yeah. my fiance is gluten-free everywhere we go. Yeah. You have a gluten-free yeah. bun? Sure. It's an extra $6, right? Like, right. People like 100%. to kind of take advantage of that stuff when really it, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. You know, keep things affordable and easy and accessible and, and it'll get adopted more. And, and yeah. you know, not only that, on the, on the food technology side, the production side, there's new analogs coming out. I mean, I can't even keep up with them. I mean, we have a, a full-time corporate chef, head of culinary innovation, Mike Salem, brilliant guy that is just his job is to keep up with this, stuff, keep up with the new analogs, the new technology for creating those analogs and the new product that, that's going to be available to us over time. Yeah, that's that's really cool. It's, in, it's, it's super fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And is Kevin himself, is he a vegan? He's a flexitarian. He's a flexitarian. What is that? Yeah. So that that's where, you, you know, it's it's where you're, you try to be conscious of what you're eating. And guess how to describe it. I'm sure there's a much more utilitarian definition for it. But, you know, it's, it's yeah, I want to eat plant-based more. I want to eat maybe less meat or I maybe want to eat okay. more fish or, you know, like one day a week, I'm going to do this. It's almost like that vegan after six idea. Um, yeah. Just trying to make an impact where you can and doing, you know, in little increments, you know, you don't have to be a full blown plant-based eater, vegetarian, vegan, anything like that to enjoy our food or to be for that or to even, even make a difference. Right? I think if yeah. we can get a, a small minuscule percentage of, carnivores to switch just a small minuscule percentage of their diet we're going to have a big impact on the environment and and our and our supply chains where do you see the industry today from a technology standpoint where do you see us and where do you see us headed well like i alluded to earlier like i really do see the technology becoming moving to the center of the business of the hospitality business it's now like uh, you know really important to have it you know, front and center. So, you know, and yeah, I think where we're really, where we're moving is that kind of idea where we're really, you know, I used to be like Domino's was the technology company that sold pizza, right? But yeah. in reality, we're all really technology companies in a way. You know, consumers are making their decisions based on, you know, based on the technology you have available in, in a lot of ways. And I'm, I really feel that shift happening in the, in the industry quite a bit. I think it, it's just adapting to, you know, the new, the way it is, like the way it is, is that, you know, you might have a lot more SaaS platforms these days, right? You might have uh, a lot more technology in places that you never thought you'd have technology before. Being ready for that, being able to move quickly. One of the biggest challenges that I have, and I think a lot of people in my position relate to is being in the moment when you're needed, right? So IT projects technically, you know, traditionally have this long lead time, right? Like you start ideating and then start 
planning and then, you know, then you got to sign contracts, then you got to do pilots. By the time you get the product launched, whatever it is, I mean, your business could be way down the road and like not even worried about that particular problem anymore. So being able to react quickly, being able to implement quickly, not being afraid to fail, you know, that's a kind of a startup mentality. I think I feel like that startup mentality needs to be <laughs> more prominent, right? I think it's, it's something that we can learn from startups and hopefully I can help in whatever ways, but you know, I'm not afraid to burn things down either. Like if I built something and it's not working, I'm, I'm not afraid to give it up and leave it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's that whole thing about legacy. I think legacy is kind of a weird word. I think it, I think legacy, you can translate to like the guy before me. That's really what it is, right? It's the, the IT guy before me chose this and I hate it. So it's legacy. Or you can say that legacy is, it's something we should have changed five years ago and did it right. So you're trying to kind of shift the blame on the product when you say it's legacy, but really the blame is on you because you didn't change it when you should have, or you shouldn't mm -hmm. didn't do the upgrades when you should have, or you shouldn't didn't do your due diligence. And you kind of sat there stagnant, waiting for something to happen, right? That, that kind of mentality is just going to hold back the whole business. Um, so you have to just really be able to move quickly and don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. Another thing that's important, I think that I try to frame everything in it's, is don't forget what you're running away from. A lot of people like to run towards things, but don't forget what you're running away from, right? The legacy platform, it's like, oh, we can't put in something else. It's going to cost too much. Oh, there's no art. We got to pencil out this ROI on this, right? What is that going to be? That's running to something, right? You're trying to chase something. I see this in the, in the kiosk conversation all the time. We're going to save labor when we put in kiosks. Like, okay. That's every single person I know that's been in kiosk says, no, we don't save labor. That's not the point. But what you're running away from is bad uh, guest experience. It's for, or refocus labor or, you know, labor that's focused too much on, on taking orders when they can be doing other things. So. Don't forget what you're, what you're leaving behind and how important that is and what value that has, right? If you're running away from something legacy, there's a whole bunch of garbage you get to jettison off the back of the boat. That's just as important as the stuff that you're headed for. Mm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to hit rewind and hear you say it all again. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's really very poignant. I mean, yeah, what does legacy mean? Like. Does it mean you're shifting the blame to someone else or something else? Is that what is what legacy? legacy means? It's older yeah. than X number of years than it's legacy. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. cloud-based. Is that legacy? I kind of hate the term. I think it's an yeah. excuse. You know, I think we've kind of pinned it on, you know, like people like to pin, you know, Aloha, Micros, those kind of things, right? Those old POSs, those legacy POSs. But, you know, it's not 100% fair on them. Mm -hmm. But if you have a legacy system and you consider it legacy, why do you still have it? I mean, it, what, then get rid of it. Like, yeah, well, I think it comes that, I think it's what you're saying. I think it's all in there. Like, have you been innovating and evolving? Like you said, staying in the moment, the innovation, the evolution. If you're like Oracle, right? And you've continued to evolve. I'm just throwing out examples of like, I use Acrobat, like a lot of times for design. And has that evolved? No, Canva is taking over the world, by the way, in yeah. marketing and design. Designers are now being at, like professional designers are now being asked to design in Canva, which is a free tool, right? Yes. Um, Perfect example. That's a great example. Yeah. So evolution, right? Like, are you continually, then, then it's not, then in my mind, it's not really legacy. If you've evolved and stayed relevant, then it's not legacy. If you haven't, and I think that's why it gets used in our, in our industry is, a lot of companies haven't been pushed to innovate 
Well, right? they, they, yeah, they think of it as expense, right? They, you don't see mm-hmm. a lot of restaurant chains that have an R and D budget, right? They're not, right. they're not worried about that kind of stuff so much. They're just trying to yeah. cut costs and, and manage their P and Ls, those kind of traditional things. But that kind of goes back to what I was saying about best of breed and, and kind of making sure everybody plays well together. I never, ever sign any length of term contract with a company that's going to fold me back in any way. And that can never be replaced. Everything's got to be able to be plugged in. If I've got Acrobat throughout my organization, it better be damn easy to pull it out, put put something else in really quick. That's one of the biggest decision factors that I I use when I'm deciding on Mm -hmm. best of breed. I consider that best of breed, right? I want them to earn my business constantly. Um, I'm not going to sign a 30-year contract with them. In fact, I try to keep them into one year wherever I can. Two is my most I'll ever give anybody. Because things change too much. Things change yeah. too much in one to two to three years. So it's always you have to earn my business and you have to be replaceable. A lot of the vendors don't like that so much, but I have a fair <laughs> number that do earn the business and are running and run much longer than their contracts are because they stay relevant, they stay up to date, and, and they earn that business all the time. But I'll never let anything hold me down. Yeah, well, the contract terms, that's a great example, too. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about my own technology partners that I use here for in marketing that I've used for years and how they over the years have tried to, okay, we'll give you this discount, go two years, go three years. And I've always wanted to stay one year with my partners and having that flexibility, because I know there's a lot of people that have gotten locked into five, 10 year terms. Yeah. And that's a lifetime today. You got to ask why they're doing that. Right. I mean, you know, and, and if it's money, you know, if I have to pay a little bit more to have a lower term, I'll, I'll do that. But yeah, they, they, you know, too many vendors look at it as a contract value, right. Mm -hmm. And not a lifetime value. And, and Mm -hmm. they really think like at the end of three years, you're going to leave them. I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, obviously if you don't keep up, if your support isn't good or your roadmap isn't working out or you're you're not evolving fast enough, absolutely. I'm leaving you, but. Why not just do those things? <laughs> yeah. We don't have a problem, right? Let's just keep yeah. up and like keep going. Like this is a rocket ship yeah. we're on right now. And, and, you know, you have to be able to keep up on this rocket ship or we're going to leave you behind. I make yeah. that very clear to anybody that I sign with. That's great. That's great. Keep, keep us all accountable, Justin, for oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and responsible and responsible. We, we believe that there's a responsibility that we owe the industry, that it hasn't been there all along. And so... We take it pretty seriously. One of the things you also said is, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking of it like, what problem are you trying to solve? You said, what are you running away from and what are you running to? And to get clear on that before you just ixnay over here and go to the next widget kiosk, whatever it might be, like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And that is it in the guest experience is it, or is it in the employee experience? Is it the UX and the UI? What is it? And that's. It's great advice. Well, quantifying those too, right? To piggyback on my, you know, where the, where I was saying about like when we're a cost center, when technology is a cost center or we report to the CFO, right? Because nobody else wants to keep an eye on us, right? Somebody's got to control our spending, right? So Don said that too. I, I was like, really? Reporting to the CFO? Yeah. I mean, that, that's terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it's been. I mean, that's really how it's been. I reported to many CFOs. Some of them understand technology. Some of them think they understand technology. Some of them don't at all, but they do know what PLs look like and they do yeah. know that they need to see something. I always felt like that ROI exercise was just too, right? I, I felt like there was some sort of like, hey, if we do all this, 
you can always kind of make the numbers kind of look right or make it kind of show an ROI over X number of months or something. And I was just kind of to appease them. But you can't make all your decisions that way. It's so much more important to be strategic and about where you want something to be in, you know, X number of years or X number of months. You know, so if you just, when I say that before, like, if you shift the IT guy from the CFO to the CEO, right? And the leader of the company is also leading technology and understands that it's part of the DNA of the brand and that the things that we're going to do are going to enhance the brand experience and are going to enhance the employee experience. We're going to enhance, I don't know, faster reporting or enhance the board experience, whatever that, that is, that those kind of strategic decisions are much, much more important and not always quantifiable. Uh, so that's kind of what I mean. Like, what are you running from? Are you running from like, you know, are you going to, is it going to be a legacy platform in another year? Right. If you're going to, if you like in another year, like this thing's kind of fading away, it's getting old, we're outgrowing it. Now is the time to start thinking about those things, thinking ahead and getting those things on, on your, on your radar. And it's maybe not a roadmap per se, because roadmaps are kind of useless. The, it's like budgets. They're useless. As soon as you make them, they're wrong, right? But, you know, knowing what you, where you want to go and knowing how you want to remain competitive, remarkable, and, and, you know, really delight your guests. I think it's a lesson that I've learned from Netflix before, before Netflix kind of turned a little bad, but um, Netflix would constantly be updating their UI, constantly be um, changing things around because they knew that you had to, they had to be your first choice in your media streaming platform. They wanted to be that mm. all the time. And in order to do that, they had to constantly be changing. The pace at which they changed and updated things was just absolutely amazing, but it was very much part of their strategy and built into their DNA from, from day one. Yeah. Yeah. So such a good reminder. And, and even the way that you just mentioned what you did about reporting to CFO versus reporting to a CEO. I mean, you're exemplifying it. Mm -hmm. Just through our conversation today, you, you've you talked about aligning the tech to be remarkable, which is a big part of your brand ethos and your and your brand values is to be remarkable. And and I remember the first time you talked, you said, I want my I want to make it this way. So you're already thinking, I mean, like you own like a business owner, like, you know, the, the yeah. C-level versus if you're reporting to a CFO. I mean, I haven't heard a single CFO. I'm sorry. I, don't, I mean, no discouragement to CFOs. <laughs> nope, me neither. That has mirrored the brand, like saying like, hey, we need to we need to make this the technology. You know, mirror the brand. It's yeah. got to be. I'm, I'm losing for whatever reason, the word I'm trying to grab, but it's got to it's got to emulate the brand. Yeah. And you're not going to get that from a CFO. You're just not. No. So, so two things about that is the CFO, yeah. I think the CFO has to be really good at translating that into board speak, right? I think the board, mm -hmm. that that's their number one goal. It's like, yes, this is going to cost us money, but here's what we're going to get out of that. And, and this yeah. is why we're doing that. And I think there's a framing that you can do to those higher level, uh, the higher level leadership about that and how we're going to stay relevant in the marketplace. Again, maybe not quantifiable, but hey, we got to remain competitive. And that's the kind of language you can have. And the other thing you said about ownership, like, you know, yeah, there's been kind of some talk, like you want your employees to act as if they own the company. You know, that's a very one-sided conversation. You want them to take responsibility and really, you know, not take that pencil home with them or not, you know, whatever, like pay attention to the pennies and the nickels and dimes. You want them to act, be empowered to like, you know, whatever the actual, actual nuts and bolts of, of empowering like a lower level employee to make decisions. 
never comes through. It's like, it's one of those kind of things that it's like almost propaganda. Like we want you to be ownership, but at the higher levels, when you get to like a director or above, I think it is important to keep that in your mind all the time. It's on me to put myself in the center of the business. I, I like that technology is moving to the center of the business, but it's also on us as tech leaders to move yourself to the center of the business. Be involved where you can be involved. I actually am bringing in a demo of an automatic like, lid ceiling chain for drinks. Nothing to do with technology, right? It's nothing to do with IT, traditional IT. I don't even know why they were at a conference that I went to. I thought it was the coolest thing. It's kind of emerging <laughs> tech in a weird kind of way. Yeah. But that's what I'm showing the team is that I'm, I care and I'm interested in everything that's going on and I'm not just, yeah. like, you know, gonna, you know, oh, it's not my, that's not my department. Stay in your lane is not something that I like to talk about. It's, it's my right. lane is, is all lanes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it, the business. Yeah. And so, you know, it is on us a little bit to kind of, to muscle our way into where we need to, to go, what we need yeah. to do. And it's harder at lower levels. You know, when you can get to a CIO or, you know, an SVP or an executive level, obviously you're probably already there or you did a good job at doing that. But Kind of in this middle level that I've gone through recently, club manager to director and, and VP is, is to make sure that you, you're doing it and you're doing it in the right way and you're thoughtful and purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. So I have this question I want to ask you and, and I know we're getting over an hour, so, so we'll, we'll wrap up soon, but you know, I could talk Fine. to you all day. When you look <laughs> out at our, at the industry from a technology viewpoint, what gets you really excited that you see happening? And what gives you pause and scares you? Oh, wow. Okay, let's think about that for a second. What gets you really excited? I mean, we just came out of FS Tech. You saw a lot of tech. You, we've talked about the changing role of CTO and the technology moving to be being, you know, a, a primary part of the business and, and yeah. not an afterthought. I mean, what are the things that you look at and you see happening? You're like, oh, I'm so excited about this. You know, I'm sure we've talked about these things, mm -hmm. you know, throughout the conversation that have come up. Like, obviously, I think I'm excited about the merger of tech and marketing. I'm, I'm excited about how that's happening and how we're getting more and more involved. And I'm excited about how guest experience is really a focus in the digital space, right? So really, really making sure that people can interact with you and get good hospitality even in the ultra convenient kind of you know environments that we're in, get that kind of touch points where where they may not be expecting them. That's exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, and the same. I, and a given is that anything I say about that guest side is also for the employee side. Right? I want to make sure, like I said earlier, like the everything that the employee wants to interact with is also seamless and easy and like super cool and and just convenient. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I can support the hospitality you know, equation, right? So many people talk about like, what is hospitality and where is hospitality going? And, you know, I don't know if, if, if there's a strong hospitality point of view at some, right? It's, it's more about delivering product, but I grew up, I, I kind of skipped some parts of my, my background, but I did work fine dining at some time. And I just, I always have that. I always want to make sure people feel, you know, at home and, you know, eating is such a, emotional thing right we're giving you yeah. something you're going to put in your body like i want it's an experience it's not just a sustenance like hey i gotta eat fa like fast sometimes it is but sometimes like you know you really want to experience it so anything i can do to support that is exciting to me that scares me i just gotta say before you go before yeah. you go on it scares me it's personal 
Eating is personal. Hospitality is personal. I don't care if you're a QSR. They're putting, they're giving you money to eat your food. Yeah. I take that very personally. And I, and you know how I feel about this topic of hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we need to, we need to fight to keep it alive, you know? Yeah. Because it, because we're not Netflix and we're not Amazon. We're delivering food and it is, it's, it's an experience and it's a choice that, that you're, you're putting something in your body and, and it is very personal. It's very personal to me. And it, it, it really irritates me when people are like, oh, we got to be like Amazon. Well, uh, it's, you're not eating. It's not food. You're ordering stuff to put yeah. in your house or whatever. I mean, it's different. Okay. Yeah. What the, okay, yeah. I mean, box. they say you eat with all your senses, right? I mean, what, uh, there's yeah. not that many things that you do with all your senses, you know, smell, right. taste, sight, and sound, everything that it's, it's eating. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's what we put yeah. into our bodies. It's, it's one of the most important yeah. things we do on a regular basis. Yeah. So what scares you? What's terrifies you? This, I think this is an easy question. Like, but oh. like, what, what do you see going on? You're like, oh my gosh. Stop that. Stop it. Hmm. What? what scares you? Oh, I wish I knew what you were thinking now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm too opinionated. <laughs> well, it's probably something if I thought about, I would be scared of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely scared of economic factors. I think, you know, that's going to influence all parts of our lives, all parts of our industry. Um, I, I see the industry bifurcating into kind of this you know, QSR, like ultra convenient. And I see it going towards a very high touch um, and there's not much being in the middle um, these days. So that does scare me a little bit because that is part of that. Hospital. In order to get that hospitality and, you know, experience, you have to go to a much higher end place that, that, that worries me just because like, like you said, this is, this is my industry. I have a deep care for, for it and for providing that. So that does scare me a little bit. And then price that we're going to have to take because of, you know, inflation supply chain, and that's going to drive that divide even more. And, you know, this, th- that really affects our accessibility idea, right? So if yeah. we are not really accessible to people, that, that it kind of shoots itself in the foot. I'm trying to think of something from a technology side that, that, is, that scares me. I guess probably biggest concern that I have is that now that we have all this stuff, it's like privacy and compliance and, and keeping up to date on legislation and meeting their expectations, our, our users' expectations for privacy and being able to manage all that stuff, that part's good, right? So machine vision is fun. Sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. There's machine vision that can tell you sentiment, right? One of the things I like to know is like, yeah, my guess, and they, they did that at a guest side. So here, there's a theme going here, which is guest yeah. employee, but they did it from a guest side. They wanted to see how many people walking in the door were happy when they came in or happy when they left or vice versa, those kind of things. I'd also like to see how many of my employees are smiling at every guest, right? Or, or how many, who smiles the most? Like maybe you have a competition and part of my employee rewards program is who smiles the most at my customers, right? Who said, right. Wow. Yeah, Sounds cool. Also mm-hmm. privacy, right? Also anonymization, also PII, also that part of it. So, you know, yeah. I, I heard a story about, I think it was checkers, because I think they're in the news a lot about how they are doing AI drive-throughs, yeah. right? I mm-hmm. think they're they're one of the pioneers in that field. And mm-hmm. they have a sign on their drive-through. I think they said, I'm not even 100% sure how this works, but a sign that said, "You by, by placing an order, you've accepted our terms and conditions. Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> is that everyone in the car? Is that everyone that's done that? Is that, I mean... Yeah. How is that possible? I'm going to supposed to open up my phone, go to your terms and conditions website right now, hit in the checkbox, 
before I can place an order with you. Those yeah. kind of things are rapidly evolving. I think there's a, there's a very volatile landscape there. So we'll see what happens. That's probably one of the things that's happening most. Yeah. yeah. What was yours? <laughs> well, I think we touched on mine. I mean, mine is that the being all things to all people and doing bad, honestly, doing unethical or bad business. And so I see a lot of companies in the space more on the tech side. That ju it just scares me a little bit. There's so much. There's so many widgets now out there. And it's gotten so crowded and competitive. And just doing the right thing has become kind of an afterthought. And maybe I'm just opinionated about that because I've, I've heard some of the stories. But I have um, some for you. Yeah. I mean, I've heard them from people like you. Yeah. And... The buyers on, on, on the restaurant side have told me stories of getting burned and being sold something that wasn't true. Right. Um, and so that scares me a little bit because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think we have a responsibility to educate and to guide and lead and help people understand the power that technology can provide, but also the limitations. Like nothing can do everything. There's no panacea. There's no silver bullet here. Right. Like be real. Be real. Yeah. So that's that's a different approach than I was thinking about, but yes, absolutely. I have learned over my, you know, many years that, you know, you don't have to be ethical to be in business. It's not a requirement, you know, yet legal, sure, but ethical, you know, there's a great, a lot, pretty big gray area. And I see it a lot in the industry. I see a lot of people being taken advantage of, you know, small time operators, you know, mom and pops, SMBs getting taken advantage of, um, all sorts of things, you know, there's, a lot of people think that fake it till you make it is a like legit rule. Like just fake it, like just lie, you know, and just pretend. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it does bother me. I've got, I got pretty good spidey sense on that. I've actually, you know, worked in some scenarios where I got to kind of see behind the scenes of some of that. So I always am keeping my eye out and, you know, I guess I'm, I'm also make myself very available as a reference to anyone, any of my peers that have been watching this podcast. You ever want to know kind of like the real dirt on some things? I'll tell you, or I'll tell you, I don't know. Or I'll tell you, I'll point you to someone that does know. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's some, there's some, even it, it, very specific people in, in, and companies in this space that, that do scare me. Well, on a brighter note. Yes. <laughs> as we wrap. There's some great ones too. Yeah. Most yeah, of, absolutely. Always, always, always. Yeah. What advice do you have to um, to CTOs in this space? It's rising CTOs, current CTOs. Like, what would you say? I mean, you've given good advice all along, but yeah, as, as a wrap, like parting words. Yeah, don't be afraid. Move fast. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a CEO that I worked for, who was just a genius, super insightful person, but he said to me, like, there's a lot of IT guys, but there's not a lot of IT guys that can move the football. So really being able to keep things moving, it's my number one goal. I've taken that to heart. I've been fairly successful. I mean, it's not easy. That is not an easy challenge. You have, you know, that 18-month lead time I was talking about from ideation to contracts to all that kind of stuff. That's hard. you got to shorten that period as much as possible. And because, you know, like if CEO says, hey, we should do this, that means he wants to do it now or it doesn't mean he wants to do it in 18 months or 24 months. And by the time your train has left the station, he's already wants to go to a different destination. So the most important thing for IT, I think, is to move the football, keep things moving, you know, eliminate excuses. 
cut those chains, legacy stuff. Don't be afraid to burn things down. A modern POS platform takes like no time to train on. Like it, it's, you can set up a cloud-based POS on a back counter, let them play with it for two weeks, move it to the front counter and you can go. Like it's not as hard as you think it is to stop making it that hard. And that's going to get you like kind of in the, in the moment. It's going to make sure that, you know, it's one thing to bring tech in the center. It's another thing to bring it to the center and not, you know, <laughs> not, not succeed, right. Or not, uh, not keep it moving. Um, you know, cause the, the, the business will move. So your center there, the business keeps moving. You're, you're no longer in the center. You're back to where you were stuck. I see that often. I see most CTOs kind of the larger you go, the harder it gets for them to change. But this is change time. This is like, this is the time of rapid evolution. Yeah. It's no longer acceptable to have, you know, platforms that are over five years old, I'd say, or seven years old. If you have a platform that old, it's, it's got inherent security risks, inherent management risks, whatever it is, it's time to like modernize. Mm. Mic drop. It's go time. It's go time. No, that's, and that's real. That's real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's. That's, you know, the, the COVID was the thing, right? COVID, the yeah. pandemic was like, oh shit, let's go. We got to do all this stuff. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I think I was lucky because I had planned on many of the things we needed to implement in COVID long before. So I got mm -hmm. lucky on that because I had really good leadership with good vision. And so that was, that was, I was able to do that. But that's one thing that was survivability. That was like, you know, surviving. Like that was like react to survive or, you know, survive or die. That was, that was the choices making. Those choices still stand, but they're much more like long-term also just as imminent without the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's, it's more mm -hmm. of a of nature or more, of, but this is it, this is time. And, and I saw that at, at FS tech, this is the first year of like FS tech is typically, you know, the big brands go up there and they talk about what they're doing. It's like, yeah, great. I, you know, it's just not innovative, right? It's not innovation, what they're doing. They're doing stuff they should have been doing two, three years ago and, and what other industries did 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, this is the first year that I felt like there was a buzz and excitement from the brand side of like, okay, we're actually ready to do something. Like this is yeah. like, it's no longer like a, hey, let's go look at the, you know, shiny objects. Let's see what's out there. Like, you know, let's go talk and pretend like we're rock stars and get taken out to dinner and all yeah. that stuff. You do at a conference. This was like, I think they were really, truly interested in what can get them to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that is definitely something I think it's about time. It's time to move the football fast. Right? The longer yeah. you take to move that football, the more the other, you know, other teams are going to score on you. That's it. Get, get going. Don't <laughs> lollygag. Like, don't be afraid to burn stuff down, you know, and just do it. <laughs> I love it. Lollygag. I haven't heard that, that word in a while. One of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't be a lollygagger. Don't well, be a lolly. Other... Can we name the episode? Don't be a lollygagger. I, okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's always this thing where, you know, IT guys have this prioritization list and then they say, well, we want to yeah. prioritize this. Okay. And then you say, well, what'll drop off this list. Right. I mean, right. you should know that pretty obviously if there's something you're working on your priority list. That's not like driving these, these business values that we're talking about or not getting you adopted. That happens a lot. Actually, you put something in and like, people aren't excited about it. They just, yeah. Okay, this is something corporate told us we had to do. Just do it yourself. Drop, start, start dropping stuff. Be reactive. Don't ignore your stakeholders. Right? Get stuff done for them too. But make sure that the business first is moving. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great way to wrap because you've been saying these things all along. Like, stay agile. It's time to go. Be fearless. 
burn stuff down. I love how you keep saying, like, burn it down. If it's not working, burn it down. Throw it out. Yep, that's, that's like it. whole agile, like fail forward fast. Like burn it down. Rip it out. T- try something else. Like yep. these are all such such great reminders and advice, I think, to to folks in the space and and critical for reinventing restaurants. So it's true. It's really easier yeah. to do in a startup. Yeah. So that's why I'm doing it. And that's why I'm yes. hoping to like encourage and inspire others to do it. It it makes makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you today and to to watch your journey with Hard House. I know it's going to be fabulous. Oh yeah. And they've got you so they're they're a step ahead. But thank you so much for coming on and and sharing all of your your wisdom and insight and experience and wish you all the best. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Anytime. I'm always happy to talk personally or, or another episode on different topics. Anyone that's listening, I'm available for, you know, anything you want to, you want to bounce some ideas off me or have a conversation. Just let me know. Awesome. Where do people reach you? LinkedIn or what's your go-to? Yeah. LinkedIn's probably the easiest way. Sure. LinkedIn. Okay. LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Justin. Hope you have an awesome day and stay remarkable over there at Heart House. (laughs) Thanks, Jen. Thank you for checking out this episode of Restaurants Reinvented. This show is brought to you by Q a restaurant tech company paving a brighter future for operators with the industry's first unified commerce platform. If you enjoyed what you learned in this episode, make sure to follow Restaurants Reinvented in your favorite podcast app or visit qbeyond.com slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.